1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you haven't turned there, 1 Corinthians 7, we are in verses 17 to 24 as we come back to a text of scripture that we started studying last week. If you weren't here with us, let me just remind the people who were here, this is a very difficult text. This is a text of scripture that I asked people last week, how many of you have ever had this scripture taught? Nobody came up to me and said, oh yeah, I remember this, getting a detailed message on this. This is a text of scripture that is rarely taught because it's a hard topic. It's very hard to understand theologically. It deals with a concept that, that, that a lot of people don't find maybe attractive or exciting. It deals with staying with the status quo. And I said, it's not a fun topic, it's a hard topic. Let me just read verses 17 to 24. Remember, this is a passage that's dealing with marriage and do I stay single, do I get divorced, do I, you know, what, am I, what do I do with my virgin daughter? All of these things are going to come in this chapter. And then in the midst of all of this, he gives us this, verse 17. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk, and so I direct in all the churches. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it, but if you are able also to become free, rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Verse 24, brethren, each one is to remain with, the, with God in that condition in which he was called. And so what we talked about is that this passage, we talked about this passage, Wes, you can get it up, um, is the fact that this is a passage that's dealing with keeping the status quo. And, and the word status quo doesn't appear in, there, in this text, but the idea of remaining, staying, abiding does. And it's, it, it's emphasized over and over with three specific commands. I think there's eight or nine commands in this text that are going to deal around these three areas. Number one, it's going to deal with marriage, which we went through last week. Then it deals with your culture, your nationality. And then we said it dealt with also your vacation in the sense of whether you stay free or you stay a slave. And how critical it is that you grasp that, this text that, <clears throat> that, that God is saying with your case, where you are at, you have to discern, am I someone that needs to apply this and keep the status quo? Now with all text, with all scripture, there are fundamental truths that are always underlying and working as a foundation of every passage. But because this passage, I think, is so unique and one that is rarely taught, it's easily skipped over. A pastor who's doing, you know, just wanting to make sure that everyone, you know, gets some fun and easy topic would jump over this. I wanted, though, to bring us into this passage with, the, with some understanding that I think there are three truths that really are important. So this is just a recap. I'd highly recommend you go back to the podcast. I'm not going to go into the detail with the three truths and the three characteristics as much as I did last week. I'm just going to repeat it. Number one, we said there's the, the, the status of what you do or do not do doesn't change your relationship to God. God. And the, here's the idea here, is that be, whether you become a pastor, you become a missionary, you become a teacher, whatever you do, 
You don't become closer to God when you become a pastor. You don't become closer to God when you become a missionary. You must never have that mindset that there is some type of, some type of elevation in necessarily the role that you have. God wants you to say, I am close to God. I'm as close as the pastor. And I'm trying to let you know that you are. And so the, the pressure would be is that, oh, now that I became a believer, I've got to do something you know, to put myself in a, in a better position so I'm working closer with God. That just isn't true. Second, we said, God is more concerned about your obedience than the comfort in your status. And you could be in a tough marriage. You could be someone that's in a tough job. You could be a slave. And God says, listen, I want you to stay in that job. I want you to stay in that marriage. And I want you to stay a slave. And I want you to understand I am more concerned about your obedience than about your status, whether you're free, whether you're in a better marriage or whatever. Third, we said Jesus came to change hearts. And we talked about John chapter 6. And every one of these, I gave passages for you to, to look at, like John chapter 6. The idea is that Jesus didn't come to overturn society. He didn't come for a revolution. He didn't come so that all of a sudden we got rid of slavery. He didn't make, make sure every marriage was going to work out perfectly. Jesus Christ came to change people's hearts. And, and we've got to understand it. Otherwise, this text that we're going through won't make a lot of sense. And we said because of, the, of these truths... You have to understand there are three traits that God wants applied in our lives. We went into Philippians and other passages that God wants you to be content. What do you mean be content in a difficult marriage? What do you mean be difficult, content in a difficult situation, maybe in my job? Yeah, God wants you to be content. And the Apostle Paul modeled that in the book of Philippians while he was in prison, while he went through so many difficulties because he knew that God was sovereign and had him right where he wanted him to be, the status that he was in. Second, we talked about be willing to suffer for God's purpose. No pain, no gain. And now Becky's here, and she'll confirm this is a photo of me. <laughs> Went out my shirt on. So, but, that, well, well, but I apologize last week. I didn't want to make everyone upset, but, but, you know, but Becky is here, and she'll tell you. Anyway, that's okay. Listen, the idea is that God wants us to suffer sometimes for his purpose. And we talked about how the Apostle Paul suffered. And we see people like Daniel suffering. They go through hardships. They go through difficulties. And the idea is it's better to obey sometimes than, I don't want to say the sacrifice. It's better to obey even if it costs you your life. And then third, we talked about how God wants us to glorify him in our body. And you can say, wait a second, I'm in this lousy marriage and, and, and blah, blah, blah. But God wants you to honor that marriage and not, you know, go outside of the marriage. And God, you know, you could say, look, I, I just want to get, I just want to have a sexual relationship and I can't find anyone to marry. So therefore, I'm going to just do whatever I want. You know, no, God wants you to glorify God in your body. And so that is going to be critical to understand as we go through this text. So Here's where we were last week, verse 17. It said, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk, and so I direct all the churches. I direct all the churches. That was a great study. If you weren't with us, we went into detail how this is used throughout the New Testament. God want, doesn't want one 
truth for one church and another truth for a different church. And, and just an amazing study. But the idea is, is that as God has assigned to each one, as God has called each, and we said that was in the context, he was talking about marriage in verses 15 and 16. He was talking about divorce and, and stuff. He wants us to have this understanding. I don't want people running out on their marriage to the extent that they don't have to initiate divorce. I want you to be people that understand only as God has assigned to each that let everybody walk. Let them walk in that pattern. They have that life pattern. So we use this illustration. Don't rush out of marriage. And this was an article from 1972 when no fault the divorce came on the scene and people were rushing into divorce and then the idea of don't rush into marriage just because you become a believer thinking, oh, that's going to be you know, what God wants because God is always promoting marriage and the church should be promoting, promotes, the, well, at least as a, as a basic concept, has marriage and families at the heart of a lot of what we do. So you think, well, wait, now that I'm single and I'm, I'm saved, I should rush into marriage. No, God doesn't want you to rush into marriage. We should be discerning about that. And, and then we talked about the fact that this isn't saying that you can never get married because we looked up at verse 27 and 28. Look at it. It says, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But verse 28 says, but if you marry, what do you mean? You just told me don't do that. Well, this is where discernment comes in. And the idea of you've got to understand how sometimes you take one exhortation and there's another exhortation or another allowance and you bring them together because somebody could sit here and say oh i'm never supposed to get married i'm never supposed to end up in a situation where um i get out of the status quo and that's just not the case so wisdom tough passage all right there's our recap here's where we go today all right number two do not change your cultural status this gets a little more deeper verses 18 to 20 it says, was any man called when he was already circumcised? And the word called there, we, we will do this again. It, it appears nine times in this text. It deals with, the, in the, um, the Bible, as an invitation unto salvation. In Matthew 22, many are called, right? Few are cho- choice, okay? Very few meet the standard. That, that is, many are called, few are chosen. is not an election passage. It is a... Um, more of a description passage but that's just another lesson many are called is an invite typically the calling in the gospels is usually the, the general invite but when we come into the epistles whenever you see this word called it is typically more than likely what is called the effectual call when somebody actually gets saved and he basically he's saying was any man called did any man get saved when he was already circumcised and we know that circumcision dealt with the cultural status. Am I, you know, this is what God wanted the Jewish people back in the book of Genesis. He gave them, he gave them a, a covenant. And the Jewish people were to understand when they had males born into their family, the father and the mother would say, we need to get this child circumcised on the eighth day to be a sign of the covenant to show that they were of the Jewish nation. Not that they were not that they were Christians, not that they were someone that was blessed by God on the standpoint of being saved. It was just that they were under the covenant of the Jewish nation. And so 
he is saying in verse 18, was any man called while he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. What, what are you talking about? How does somebody become uncircumcised? And this blew me away that I found out that even back then, they had doctors that had some type of ability to, to do some medical procedure to reverse circumcision. Somehow they would take a piece of skin on the male sex organ and cut it and flip it so that it would end up being some aspect of reversal. And that was going on back then. So what, why, why would this apply? Well, somebody who maybe was Jewish and they got saved, they say, wait a second, now I'm being brought into the church. I'm no longer needing to keep my Jewish heritage. Now, why they would think that, I don't know, other than that just be wrong thinking. And, and he would say, if you were already circumcised, you're not to become un uncircumcised. Basically, you're not to necessarily walk away from being Jewish. You're not to stop being Jewish. There were aspects of the Jewish culture they were to keep on going and definitely don't take it to the nth degree and get rid of your circumcision. But then you go on, he says, has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Well, wait a second. There's a lot of people then that were Gentiles that were getting saved and they were thinking to themselves, wait a second. Now, shouldn't we come under the covenant? Shouldn't we become Jews, you know, Jewish Christians? And he's saying, no. Now, this is so critical because some of you guys know I went to T4G this past week, and one of the biggest frustrations I had was probably um, uh, one of the talks was given by a man that his, the basis of everything he said was based on the fact that the church has replaced Israel. You want to make me angry? That's how you make me angry. The church has not replaced Israel. And then to give exhortations based off of the fact that the church has replaced Israel just gets me even more ired up, okay? And it shows you these people are so intellectual, and they do a good job at T4G, but the reality of it is, is your intellect often leads you to make foolish decisions. And even back then, I think there were people in Paul's day that were going down that path. They were thinking, wait a second, do we just become fully Jewish? And the answer is no. The, the, the Jewish people were a, a definitive, specific line from Abraham. And, and, and God is going to continue to have a program for Israel. And we must always recognize that. And we can't drop that and say, oh, now the church has replaced Israel Okay, and everything that God promised Israel now comes to the church. There's nowhere in Scripture, and how somebody could ignore passages like Romans 9 through 11 is beyond me, but, but I'm not going to go down there. I'm just trying to get you to understand. At this point, this is all about not changing the status quo. So look at verse 18. He is not to become uncircumcised. He, has, he, has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Now, here's where you got to understand. This has to do with dealing with being cultural, cultural, in the sense of me saying, I'm going to become a Jewish person. Because do we have people like Timothy becoming circumcised? Well, Timothy was half Jewish, half Gentile back in the book of Acts chapter 16. And he gets saved and he ends up getting circumcised. So what is the, what's, what's the call there? Well, there was discernment, and they believed at that point 
it would have been the best thing for Timothy to do. But does that mean that somebody today who says medically, I think it would be okay if I went forward and I had this medical procedure done and I wanted to have circumcision, I can't do it because the Bible here is saying no? Of course you could go ahead and do it. But the idea is, is that you're not to become doing that with the idea that now I am going to become like a Jew, that I'm become this Christian Jew. Um, that's the idea. Paul was worried about people becoming radicalized, people becoming thinking, I've got to drop my culture. I've got, I've got to drop my Gentile culture. Or I've got to drop, drop my Jewish culture. And he's saying, no, stay where you're at and reach the people, reach your Jewish people, reach your Gentile family. You know, don't stop being Slovak, German, you know, whatever, what's your national background. Get in there and reach the people. Look at verse 19. And this is critical that we understand it in the context. When he says circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God, you've got to understand, wait a second, does this mean that Jewish people shouldn't be circumcised? Absolutely not. Circumcision was everything. It was, it's still, I believe, important for Jewish families to do for their, the boys that are brought into their family. You turn back to Genesis 17, just so you understand the significance of this covenant. Okay, Genesis chapter 17. Get back, back in the book of Genesis. So when Paul says circumcision is nothing, it has to be in this context about ultimately what makes you right with God in the sense of being born again but from the standpoint of the blessing that god wanted to give the jewish people you have to understand this doesn't mean that circumcision gets dropped off the scene so back in chapter 17 remember abraham has been reckoned to god as righteous in chapter 15 and so we pick up in chapter chapter 17 verse 1 it says now when abraham was 99 years old the lord appeared to abram and said to him i am god almighty walk before me and be blameless I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram. You shall be called Abram, Abraham, father of many, you know, the father of multitude, for I will make you a father of a multitude of nations. Verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of the sojournings and all the land of the Canaan for an everlasting possessions, and I will be their God. I don't understand. I almost like sometimes like you feel like, my wife doesn't like this way, go hit my head against the wall. How in the world most of the churches today in America think that God is finished with Israel? It's mind-boggling. It's absolutely mind-boggling. What God has promised to Abraham is transcending, I believe, through eternity, okay? Where Israel will always have a prominent place within, within the holy city of God. So, verse 9, God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and their descendants after you, throughout their generations. Verse 10, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. 
and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. It will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in your house, who is brought, bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your descendants. A servant who is born in your house or, or who, is, who is brought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for a, an everlasting covenant. Not just a covenant until the church comes. An everlasting covenant. I want you to understand the significance of this. For Jewish people, this is very critical and is today. So you flip back, and when the Apostle Paul says circumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commands is everything, we're talking about the big picture of how a person is right with God and in the context of trying to say, let's not drop our cultural status. And let's not move and say, oh, I'm Slovak, but I've got to become a Jew. I'm not a physical descendant of Abraham. Physical descendants of Abraham have to follow that, even today, I believe. But not Slovaks like me, Germans, Swedish, all of my background. This is critical so that we, we don't go rushing off and mess up where our theological culture is. Now, what I also want you to see is if you... Put a marker and you look at 1 Corinthians 7. It says, an uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. What God wants us to understand here is that what, this is what a life of faith produces. Because when he says what matters is the keeping of the commandments, is that some would say, well, is it keeping the commandments that gets me right with God? No, keeping the commandments is evidence of a person that's placed their faith in God. Turn to Galatians, Galatians chapter, let me think, six, we'll start there. Yeah, turn, let me make my, get my notes right. New Testament, New Testament, New Testament, Galatians. Oh, we'll start in chapter five, okay? It's because it's almost the exact same passage. You have Galatians, Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, okay, um, I got it right? Do I got it right? Galatians 5, 6. Yes. Okay. The Apostle Paul in Galatians is struggling because the, these false teachers have come in and said, to be a true Christian, you have to be circumcised. You have faith plus a work. And throughout the book of Galatians, and here's my plug for Tuesday nights, men, if you can come, our men's Bible study is just <laughs> halfway over <laughs> through chapter 4. You still have time. You can come and really get deep into this book, okay? Tuesday night, 7 p.m., Carl's teaching, my house, be there. The theme throughout this book is that we're saved by grace through faith. And we have to recognize you can't add anything. You can't add a work. A person, if you go up to a person and says, what are you trusting in? Why are you getting to heaven? A person should say, it's all because of Christ. These false teachers were coming and saying, now that you've placed your faith in Christ, they were claiming to be Christians. Basically, they were saying, you need to be circumcised. You need to, you need to complete the deal. And for women, how does that come about? Well, they would be advocating, men, you go do this or do it to their, their baby boys. And God is saying, no, no, no. It's all faith alone. To be complete in God, to be saved, it's faith alone. 
And so the Apostle Paul, when we come to chapter 5, verse 1, he's been hitting this from so many different angles. But now he says this in verse 1 of chapter 5, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. A yoke of, of thinking that works and efforts were going to make you right with God. Verse 2, behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Receiving circumcision in the regard that it is what is getting you right with God, not the keeping of the covenant. For a Jew, a Jew should read that and say, wait a second, should I still have my children circumcised? Absolutely. But that's for keeping their cultural background, not for, not for getting them saved. So... Yeah, they could keep it, but for us, for the mentality, if you think that's what's earning your salvation, no, you don't go and add it. So verse 3, and I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are, who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. You've fallen from the entire system. Now listen, think about this. Think about how we live in a culture today where there are so many people who call themselves Christians and they call themselves people that are believers in God and they, and, and they say, well, if you truly are born again, you've got to be baptized. It's very similar to this. It's like baptism closes the deal. That is not true. Paul is so severe with his, his claim here. He uses terminology that would be reminiscent of a knife in circumcision going on the male sex organ and saying, you've been severed, you've been cut, you've fallen from grace. It is an incredibly powerful statement. And, and so when I get all worked up about this and I try to get people to understand, we've got to be clear on the gospel. We've got to let people know it's by faith alone in Christ alone. It's coming close to the language that the Apostle Paul uses. Because he says, you've fallen from grace. And it's basically evident you're not saved. You, 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 you know, if you fall for that, you are not saved. And unless we grasp the significance, we're talking about heaven and hell here, people. So we got to understand. We want to make sure people understand the gospel. So verse 5, he says, For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. We're waiting for this hope, the, 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 for the, the, the fulfillment of everything. But, you know, we know that we've been saved. We've been given righteousness in Christ. But the hope of it is, is where it ultimately gets fulfilled. And then he says this great line. This is where I was going to. Wanted to get the whole context. Verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. But faith working through love. Meaning I've got faith and then it plays out in my life. The keeping of the commandments. The keeping of the commandments. That's why he said it back in 1 Corinthians 7. We need to grasp, we need to understand, again, our theological hats have to be put on and understand, wait a second, what is he saying here? He is not saying dump your culture, Jews. And he is not saying you need to become a Jew. But he's also trying to say, in regards to salvation, then circumcision or uncircumcision isn't going to get me right with God. It's having that faith in Christ and, the, and then the transformed life that works its way out in a love. And, and how critical it is, how important it is for us not to, to miss this. And like 
I, I, I want to stay humble. I want to stay recognizing the reality of the fact that there are things I'm sure theologically that I miss. But I can't tell you how frustrated it is. You know, when I go to a conference, and I love the conference, and my wife and I had this debate, there's 12,000 people there, you've got John MacArthur there, you've got David Platt there, you've got Legan Duncan, you've got Al Mohler, some of these are really prominent names, and all of these people are all excited about the fact that somebody has just given a message out of Israel has replaced the church. Let's put it that way. I mean, the church has replaced Israel, and it just is mind-boggling. The church hasn't replaced Israel. God has a distinction for the church in Israel. God wants us to understand that for the church age today, salvation is by faith in God, which it's always been. And so therefore, you don't need to become, as a Gentile, Jewish. And, and so as you turn back to 1 Corinthians 7, you know, the reality of it is, is you know, today... You know, this is a, a major struggle because there are church, there are people that are doing just that. They're thinking, I'm a Gentile and I've got to become Jewish. No, you don't. You don't have to. And, and some of these people, are, they, they're doing Messianic churches. Now, a Messianic church where a church comes alongside and says, hey, I, I, we've got this Jewish heritage. We'd like to put a lot of emphasis on the, our Jewish culture. I mean, I'm not going to think that, that, get all upset about anything like that. But the reality of it is if we got a whole bunch of Gentiles and we're saying to ourselves, we're now Jews, we're not Jews. The Jews were Abraham's descendants. So if you understand that significance, then you just understand the Apostle Paul knew that there were people going on both sides. I mean, when you go back, if you're in 1 Corinthians 7, and you see that in verse 18, when it says, he is not to become uncircumcised, I mean, isn't that mind-boggling? I mean, who in their right mind, who in their right mind would want to, as a male, go back and have that reversed? And, and I don't know who I was talking about, but the idea is, is that, like, how, why would this even be so prominent? I guess back then, a lot of business transactions were conducted in bathhouses. A lot of times the men were naked. Uh, people would notice whether you were circumcised or uncircumcised. It would be more of a prominent thing, more people that would, because it would be more well known. So this wasn't something that you could hide within the community. It was something that people needed to, to you know, they, they had to have a right orientation, a right understanding of what needed to be done in this regard. And so where it comes a little bit unusual for me to think, you know, um, that, that this would have been that significant because we're not in a situation where people are running to bathhouses for the local place to get a bath. Um, I've got to understand some aspects of the culture played into this. But the bottom line for you and for me is it helps reinforce the gospel. How is a person saved? They're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. And then look at, here becomes that command verse 20 it says each man must remain in that condition in which he was called here is one of the most interesting word studies you'll ever see i told you that the word called appears i think it's nine times in this text if you were to go through verses 17 and 24 you would find in english the word called eight times Where's number nine? What's in this verse? It's in this verse. 
the translators didn't want people to be confused. The eight times that you see the word called, I believe it deals with what is called the effectual call, when a person gets saved. But the ninth time, because they didn't want people to be confused, they translated it. You see in verse 20 the word condition. That's the exact same word that everywhere else is the word, the Greek word called. So literally it reads, each, must, each man must remain in that calling in which he was called. The, and the calling there, that condition, is the status. That's why I say you're, you're to keep your status quo. This was a command. This was an imperative command. You're to remain. You're to abide in that condition, the, the, the cultural background that you had. And, and so, you know, where this plays out, as like I said, you know, we, we're living in a day and age when so many churches think that the, Israel has been replaced by the church, or some people think, wow, I should become a Jew now that I'm a, I'm a Gentile who got saved, and, I, and, and, and they should take it that far. We, we don't need to do that. And then you take it up, and we're going to get into it next week as it deals with slavery, which becomes a, a, another fascinating take. But we've already looked at it within marriage. And... and what, what I think we all have to understand is that, is that there's always a sense of pressure on us when we become believers to do something radical. And let me read this to you. I ran, I ran across this article, and it came from Christianity Today. And it's all about li living the radical Christian life. I become a believer. That's what I want to do. I want to live a radical life. I want to be committed to God. And so this author, Jennifer, I want to say Heavenlone Harper, writes this article about being a radical Christian. And she writes this, and, and, and she's writing it on about early monks, how early monks and nuns in the 6th century sought to follow Christ in a wholehearted and vividly countercultural way. Let's do something really radical. Let's be countercultural. And she writes about this father. His name was Father Zosima, if I'm pronouncing it right. She writes, Father Zosima left his monastery during Lent. We're talking Lent during the 6th century. To enter the desert, hoping to find a spiritual father to offer him wisdom. Instead, he met a woman. Her naked body scorched to the Egyptian sun. Recognizing, this author writes, a life filled with holiness, he, he, he knelt down and begged her blessing. Reluctant with modesty, she spoke of her, converse, her, 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 her version, her conversion for prostitution, and of the 47 years she had lived alone in the desert. She goes, I was burned by the heat of summer and frozen stiff and shivering in winter and struggling with many and diverse needs and huge temptations, but through it all, even until this day, the power of God has guarded me. Because she's lived this radical life. She's lived countercultural. She's left everything behind just to become committed to God. That's my input. Go back to the article. The woman whose name, who was referenced, Saint Mary of Egypt, was exalted in this popular 6th century story as a source of spiritual wisdom who could teach even a godly monk like Zosima. 
But the characters in the story, a monk and a desert hermit, the author goes on to say, would have seemed strange or even distasteful to many pagan Romans because they seemed to reject traditional values such as loyalties to one city, marriage, and obligation to family. How did the early Christians come to embrace such peculiar lifestyles and then commitments like this? And she goes on and gives her answer. Let me give you the answer. The answer is because she didn't, they didn't understand keep to the status quo. They didn't understand, they didn't understand this. Be discerning. Be discerning about where you are spiritually. Be discerning about what God, where God has called you. Sometimes there are people, and we're going to talk more about this next week. If you get saved, maybe God leads you, you should become a pastor. Maybe you should become a missionary. Maybe you're in a job, and we'll see it next week, and you're in a position, maybe you're doing something improper, and you need to get out of that job. But it, some of you have to recognize, God has called me, and I'm Slovak, and I need to stay Slovak to stay in my family. God has called me in a marriage, and I, God wants me to be in this very difficult situation, and in a very difficult marriage. I'm not to leave it. Or maybe I'm, right now, God has got me single, and there's a reason he's got me single, so that I, I can reach certain people. That is all part and parcel of leading the radical life. And not thinking, wow, running off into the desert, running off into some isolation to be like a monk is the godly thing to do. That's where God is going with this. And the, I believe the 6th century and so many of these monks and so many of these people that have, that like this St. Mary of Egypt, have totally missed it. Because the hard thing to do is when we look at these principles that were up here, remember you know, your status, whether you become a monk or nun or whatever, it doesn't change your relationship with God. God is more concerned about your obedience than the comfort of your status. Jesus came to change hearts and, and, and not necessarily change the, the culture in the sense of getting rid of our, 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 our emperors and our presidents and stuff like that. He wanted people to start first and foremost with change hearts, which the gospel does. And so where you're at, you need to remember these three things. Be content no matter what you face. Sometimes you're going to have to suffer for God's purpose. God has got you in a position, and it's hard, and it's difficult. But you're to glorify God in your body. And, and so I truly, truly think that we're to take a passage like this that's really, really hard. And you think when we get to next week, you say, well, why wouldn't God get rid of slavery? And then, again, I always remember, and I always got to tell you, you know, we're not just talking about black and white people. We're talking about 50% of the world were slaves at this time. And we're talking about, you know, that, that we're dealing with the reality of this is the way the, the economy was at this time. But why wouldn't God, even if it was all white people who were slaves, why wouldn't God get rid of them? Well, the reality of it is because God wanted people's hearts to be changed. And, and I know the tendency is to want to be radical, I'm just going to do something crazy. I'm going to change my life for, you know, God. And, and in this sense, you know, think about, I'm going to get uncircumcised. Wait, no, no. God doesn't want you to walk away from your Jewish background. Or God doesn't want you to walk into a Jewish background. God, God wants you to stay in the status quo and reach the people he's pulled you to when you were called. What status were you in? It's a fascinating study. We'll get deeper into it next week because next week we'll even do I'm going to do a study on the call. You know, how does somebody know whether they're called to be a pastor or not? In the meantime, let us think about how we're reaching the people that are around us. 
If God has, let me just wrap up with verse 20. If each person is to remain in the calling in which he was called, if God, you really want me to stay faithful to where you've put me, how am I reaching the people? If you really want me to stay faithful in this situation, am I being a light? And that's what I want to challenge you today. Because the reality of it is, is God has you where you are. This is supposed to be encouraging to you. Some of you could be thinking, no, no, I, I, I need some radical change. No, God has you where he wants you. But be a light. If you're not telling people about God, you're not being a very effective witness. You're not being a very effective light. It's, it, 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 you, you are to be someone that's letting people know. There's only one way for salvation. It's by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And unless you're born again, you don't go into the kingdom of God. Listen, we're in a world that is quickly rushing to its end. Our Sunday school, my plug for Sunday school, was we're talking about end times. We're talking about how Syria and Russia and Turkey are aligning themselves. My plug for Sunday school for adults next week is come. We're going to talk about that. We're finding that our time is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Make sure that you're getting people saved before the end. That's what I want you to be passionate about. you got to recognize God has each of you missionaries, whether it's in your cultural background, whether it's in your marriage relationships, wherever you're at, and next week we'll see in your jobs. Please, please, please understand every man is to remain in the condition in which he was called. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for such a tough passage. And how I'm hoping, Lord, that people understand their responsibility to be witnesses, their responsibilities to be a testimony, to be evangelists, to be missionaries, and they carry the weight of this, Lord. Help us. Help us. This is a passage that is harder to grasp, sometimes harder to apply. I don't want somebody to think, oh my goodness, I can never change my job. I can never, you know, do something that is different than when I was actually becoming a believer. You have to give them that wisdom. You have to give them that discernment, God. But at the same time, give people here the peace and understanding of what it means to stay in the calling in which they were called. Help them to understand the heavy responsibility that you've given them to reach the people that are around them. Because, God, we must be evangelistic people. How I pray that we are a church that cares for the lost that we recognize the signs of the times. We can recognize that the rain has come for the Mayflowers, but we can see that the wars with, and the aligning of Turkey and Syria and Russia is for a reason, and it's no accident that you talked about that 3,000 years ago, and here it's happening in our very eyes. And already Israel's a nation, and Lord, help us to understand we're, we could be in difficult situations. And I know there are people that are in tough marriages. There are people that are in tough situations and they're single. There are people that are in, in very difficult families. And sometimes they want to run from their own culture. They want to run from their families. But Lord, help us to reach these people because we are the ones that are the missionaries to them. You've called us to be those missionaries. You've called us to be the light. And if there is anyone here today that like says, what is this all about? I hope, Lord, that maybe they're going to start to think about, about the calling, the invitation that Jesus Christ offers to turn from sin, to come to a relationship with Jesus, because 
Their sin is going to bring them judgment. Help them to understand that they cannot wash away their sin. They cannot pay a penalty to get rid of their sin. They cannot do a religious rite, whether it be circumcision or whether it be baptism, to get away their sin. The only answer is to have Jesus cover it with his blood. And unless that happens, they will die in their sins. Oh, please, God, if there's anybody here today, I don't care if they've been coming for one day or they've been coming for 40, 50 years, may they come to the realization that they need to have their trust in Jesus Christ. That it doesn't matter what they do and what they don't do, but do they have faith in Jesus Christ? And that faith leads to a transformed life where they're keeping the commandments of God. We pray that, Lord, for all that are in this congregation that do not know you. But how I do pray, Lord, for those that do. Oh God, how I pray for those that do, that they recognize the high calling in which they have and no longer despair and think, oh, woe is me, I've been called and I've got this task in front of me. Yes, it's a tough task. Yes, it's a tough calling. It is hard, but may the grace of God empower everyone to be faithful, to be all that God knew where you were when you were called. It's not an accident. God knew that you were in that marriage. God knew that you were single. God knew that you were from this background. He wants you to reach the people that he put you in in that situation when you were brought to salvation. Oh, Lord, may everyone here make the commitment today to be faithful to the calling to which you've given them. Amen.